with the other slaves and other things to eat, and there it was. God looked over everything and did notice, and it was so good, so very good. It was just so good. So what we have as the gospel, first of all, about creation is that we always judge our people in creation that they say anything good. What's interesting is we do find in almost every translation that the day was when he made man or made humans um, was the first day. I always kind of, I I don't give that clarity because they have to do it back in time. It is, in fact, that it says it's very good. There was something about us being able to experience Jesus and us being the first creation that he called God that he found to be very good. Now, as soon as I say something like Christianity is just good and you said they're godlike, everybody um, everybody flashes me with their Christianity and says, no, they're godlike. You know, you know, maybe not across the whole way, but it's in one at least. You know, um, and uh, and that's kind of that. It maybe isn't a it maybe is not a tornado warning, but it's a welcome sandwich. You know, the conditions are right for some hurricanes right about there, and uh, that's. But you would you would have to ignore large tracts of scripture to say that God opened creation and seen that God didn't create us to move in created time. I'm not saying you have the ability to create things. God is the one that does. But man for the most part isn't really um, tested in that kind of way. So what I would like to do now is talk a little bit. We're going to move back to Peter. That particular account is a um, a brilliant account by a theologian author um, that I follow now. And he was one of the earliest writers who wrote this book called The Acts of the Apostles. Acts is sort of like the first book of the Bible. You don't have to have it. Uh, that'll get you stoned. Um, um, I think it's just, let me be clear, I think it's chapters. I think the reason it's there is because it's like the first two. Um, so it's just like, most people just get stoned because the Bible is a large black book. I'm just being totally honest. That was the number one theme of getting stoned, was that the Father is the story of a large black book. For which I love the author, uh, William Paul Lynn, his question was, do you think that the Father is a white male? Rather than a black woman? Is it the black male heart uh, creator or is it the woman? Or both? Because he's not a white male either. So um, I would encourage you to check that book out. But um, but just going back to the point that I was reading about, he's got a series called The I Am Nots. The I Am Nots. So what I'd like everybody to do, and this isn't weird, this isn't goofy, but yes, we are kind of a tribe. So if you're driving, please don't be methodical. Everybody, to take a bow your heads, turn to your neighbor, and ask them if they were going to come alive right now. No, I'm not. I'm actually making you do it that hard. It's a little annoying. Yes, I see that hand. No, I'm, we're not doing that. I'm just teasing. I really am teasing. I just can't say it's been so long since I've asked people to close their eyes and bow their heads that it just kind of came out. It sounded a little bit too soft. It just kind of it went in. All right. So close your eyes. Like to ask you to think about have you ever heard the whisper, I am not 
say to any fellow Christian in Christ that I'm not God. I'm not smart. I'm not gifted. I'm not gracious. I'm not faithful. I'm not dependable. I'm not loved. I'm not lovable. I am still That's another sermon for another day. Um, but hold on to that if you would. Um, last night I had several dreams. Um, some of you wear the Lord a little last dream to a dream, and I think I've exactly what you just offered. If this was my night, I would wake up and go immediately back into the same dream for the rest of the day. I would let that continue in me. Just keep going, waking up, waking up, waking up, go back to sleep, and then just start wake it up, wake it up. Um, that's what happened. And I woke with a single phrase, um, one that I verbalized, I remembered saying, and since I woke up, I remembered saying this in the dream, but it was said over and over and over and over um, while I lay there awake. And it was this phrase, if the image we have of God is wrong, then the perspective of his image in creation will also be wrong. If the image we have of God
If you think God is separate from humanity, then you will likely approach creation as being separate, lost, and only able to reconnect to God through faith in Jesus. Now, to the picture. The next thing is that we, excuse me, what we do to each other represents our view of God. Say that again. What we do to each other represents our view of God. This can actually be said in both directions. The way we speak to one another should be the way, consistent with the way we speak to God. Why? Because we just read that we're the most God-like creature in creation and we bear His image. So why would we speak to one another the most physical representation of the image of God walking in creation in any other way than we would speak to Him? then confer it over to an off-image of Him. In fact, Jesus says this, Paul says this, James says this, they all relate to the same idea. The Christian says, if you don't love people well, you don't love God well. So what happens is, there's this trickshaw effect where if we don't see God correctly, we don't often be able to see people correctly. And if we don't see people correctly, it's probably going to mean that we don't see God correctly. And so there's this crossroads that begins to happen. It could be said that one of the best ways for us to honor, excuse me, as humans to honor God is to honor His image in others. This is why murder is wrong right from the beginning. It's the first thing God calls sin. Think about this. Think about the book of Genesis. The first thing God calls sin is the murder of Abel. The first time the word sin is used in the Bible is not as we would think in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell. The first time God uses the word sin that he calls something sin is when he told Balaam after the tribes came back and confronted him and came and said, why are you downtrodden? Why aren't you standing? Don't you know if you do well, won't you be exalted? But if you don't sin, God will judge you. So the first time we find this being a sin is in the story of Cain and Abel. The origin story of sin in the Bible starts with offense. And it starts, the origin story of sin in the Bible starts with offense or an interaction between two people. It is starts with the inability to recognize God in our brother. Let me be really clear here. The issue that Cain had with Abel was that he worshipped God differently. Right? The issue that Cain had with Abel first was that he worshipped God differently, and then from there he became somehow um, somehow uh, um, uh, offended and not sure that there was any purity that's there and all that. He became insecure about God that he didn't know God. That's probably the best way to say it. And then he became so offended, he became angry and so full of wrath that he 
murder, it is actually a good murder. And we find that the blood of Abel cries out from the ground against this inhumanity. So maybe we should start with the problem we started on. Let's go from there first. Once we get the problem we started with, is uh, the, the, the question we started with is, if the image of God we have is wrong, then the perspective of his image that he gave us will also be wrong. So we're going to start with, okay, let's go from there. So isn't that always my situation we do when we come to church? We're going to start with sin because uh, it just sounds like we're just gearing up for an altar call. We're not. I, I promise you we're not going to have Martha Jo come to the organ and say the groaning, groaning tongues to uh, get fed by hand, which is the way any, any good Christian gets fed. We're not going to do that. First, we have to see that the story of fallen humanity starts with an identity crisis. The story of fallen humanity starts with an identity crisis. It leads to a shame problem and develops an issue that they can't resolve. The problem that started with Adam and Eve was an identity crisis. disobeyed, then it became a shame issue. So the challenge that we have, number one, is we've been falsely told our entire life that we were born to a sin nature. That's not true. If you think that humanity started with sin, you've got a different perspective than I do. What did God say when
at first, when I first met Jesus on the first day, I was told it was anything and everything. It was only righteousness and justice. Then I was added to it. The missing of the mark of the purpose is what Jesus said. That's also true. I agree with both of those, but I would really like to refocus your mind on hamartia. The word hamartia does mean to miss the mark, but I would confess that it is not a missing of the mark of right behavior. The word comes from hot, hamartia, hot, which is a word that means it's somewhere in our language like wound something or bit something. It's a negative word. So if we were to say to disassociate with somebody, it's a disassociate word. Hot in the Greek is like of your form or being. I was always taught that sin was a doing process. Scripturally, sin is a being process. So the fundamental meaning of sin is the negation of our form or being. Do you see this point? It's not
They like that boy. He has that brother. He's the pitcher. He's like that. He lays hands on people. He doesn't ever get down on them. Haven't really been having problems. The problem is that thing is not really real. This is why Jesus so frequently said things about exposing the shadow, which will always be done in dealing with the ego. It's very sacred to self. It's very humble. Jesus regularly spoke against hypocrites.
that they, they honor us not because of your calling. I would venture to say, Lord, I am not whatever it is that you're asking me to be. But please make me beautiful when I am not beautiful. If that's my honor God, it's probably not going to yield with my soft faith. seems to deal with your insecurities, but here's the hint when you read Psalms. And so what happens is, is as life comes in, not only does life showcase what's to be there, but it makes that place right and our being is made whole again. One thing that we got right is that God wants us to be holy. Ever had an issue with that? Okay, I know. 
guilty of that. I'm just going to be honest because I, 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 I struggled with it. Being holy is not holy because I was stood in the basement for what I never do with an empty home. And I didn't know there was going to be there. So it was this weird tension where on one hand I was saying, okay, I know God's calling me to be holy. And so I'm going to strive for that. But then the other hand, I was told I was a dirty, rotten sinner who was never going to get there.
because our form and essence are being negated. Time is not exclusive to behavior. Time is being. It's a sprite of the essence of who you are. It's being. That's what the word means. To, to I, I have someone negate his being so in that regard, the I am not is real. Do you realize that the I am not strong enough? The antithesis of that is that someone said that when you are weak, you are strong. But the problem is that those I am nots present themselves with the intent to negate the I am that Peter says. And form, we think, is the action. So this whole time we're running around and we're, we're thinking that, well, doing, I'm telling you that if we get our being right, our doing will follow. I've spent my whole life trying to get my doing right. All along my doing was getting better and my being was becoming more and better. If my that simple because holiness is wholeness holiness is not the job that is done that's a ridiculous theologically you go into you talk to any any reliable theologian and you say is the holiness of god the job that is done they would laugh at you because theologically it's preposterous god can't sin so to think that his holiness would be defined by something he's not capable of is lunacy. It's not possible. Any theological defining yourself by the fact that you can't, um, I haven't, you know, saying I haven't sinned using my arms lately. Well, you can't. So it's preposterous to say you haven't done it lately. You see my point? We do this with God, though. We do this with God where we say that his holiness means that he is ruled without sin. Of course he's without sin. But that's not the point because it's not behavior laden. It's he is whole and at his being and at his essence. He doesn't have any opposite to negate what the I am is. That's the point of it. So it's strife. It's a lie that you feel, and you embrace it. You've not actually changed from any stronger than you were two seconds before when you heard the whisper. Your doing hasn't been affected. Your being, your wholeness, is what is striking. In that moment, not because we really are what the lies negate, but because our form and essence are being negated. In that moment, God's heart for us is simple. Be ye holy as I am holy. Or said differently, be whole as I am whole. See, the whole issue with sin entering the world is it's not about being 
it was started, it all started with identity change. So we run around trying to get our identity back. And we, and we have things and we think about things and we forget that those people that are there in that basket there, that says, I'm not trying to just get some, you know, a, a, a whatever, I'm not trying to find a way to start my
realize that you've got like these religious things that you're divided to. They have a category that's undenominational and one that's non-denominational. You actually have to decide if you're in or not to know what group you're part of. I'm in the uns group. How are you uns something? I don't really know what that means, but that's where we live. So we have clear tonight thousands denominations, and all of them have different versions of what we're to do. We're talking about communion. So the internal challenge is when we start saying, okay, as far as what you're doing, we have to first start with the fact that I just got on here and I said what my duty was is a sinner. Born into a sin nature. We are told God can't even look upon us except we repent of sin just because God can't look upon sin. Well, if that's true, then praise God, God has to have looked upon sin. Because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that when Satan was tempted, he did what? He tempted the God. Thank you. 
Jesus, who was God, faced this fear we might have ascribed to him in our own flesh. But I think he said this to show us a better way, a better plan. And he also said this. I got my back off him. He said, had God forsaken me? No. No. Absolutely not. God was not separate. I, how, many, how many times I've been, I remember probably being five and six years old and being told at that moment that God turned his face from sin. Which is why Jesus said that, because the sin of the world was on Jesus, so God had to turn his face because he took on sin. Well, guess what? You can read what Paul writes when it says God was in Christ on the cross restoring the world. So how is he turning his face from himself? God's love was so strong that Paul actually uses the language that says that the Trinity was on the cross. That's what Paul says. He actually says, in fact, one of the earliest hymns that we have in Europe, in, in um, uh, Sigurd the Sigurdsson, actually says the cross, and you've got the Father who's holding his son's arms up and the spirit that's standing behind the cross. Why? Because God did it, he recognized. God would not turn his face from himself. Jesus walked through what we feel and showed us a better way. He had to go through that because if Jesus, being God, had to go through feeling like he was a sinner, feeling that pain from the wounds we feel, if Jesus had to face that, then we have to know we can go through it. He did it to show us a better way. I like the story in the Roman Catholic scripture that Samuel finds to complete his battle with Goliath. Do you realize that when Jesus said, my God, my God, have you forsaken me? He was sort of implying See, what we think is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You and I, we like to back up that. We think that saying this statement about God has forsaken me is implying that it's perhaps his own fault. It has something to do with him. Maybe one of the great, um, I believe it's in Mark's gospel, it's where Peter got up there and he rebuked him and he said, you cried out with a loud voice and threw this away. But we just leave it there and we don't recognize that everybody else there would have known exactly what he was saying. And that's what he meant to say to them at the beginning of his sermon. See, you know some people, if I, if I were to say, um, hey, Josh, I need you to come over here. Um, I need um, some Diet Doritos and some hot dogs. Oh, really? You know, just a real cultural need. Um, Pick one that, that everybody in our culture would understand. Maybe it's Diet Coke or Doritos. Maybe it's even a spider. I mean, pick something that everybody would understand. That's how the psalmist feels. They all needed to memorize it. They also believed that to be a follower or a follower, you had to have memorized it for the entire Old Testament. Paul would have memorized the entire Old Testament. And so to make a long time short, deal. So Jesus says this very quote, Psalm 22. In fact, if you understand this story of Jesus, we just re-looked at it. Psalm 22 is the death or the cross. Psalm 23 is the grave and Psalm 24 is the resurrection. This is all in the Gospel of Luke. But Jesus quotes the same verse, uh, verse from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you say Psalm 23? Why do you say Psalm 23? Why do you say Luke, my God, my God, I pray that you would take this by Psalm 23 and forget me. Midway through the passage, Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Verse 24, 
is the charge that everybody brings. He has not despised or shamed
Like it's just who we are. It's not about what we do. And we thank you that in those moments where we need to hang on the cross, all we have to say are those words, I am strong because in my weakness is Jesus perfected. We thank you that when we make these declarations over ourselves, that you continue to refine us anew into the person of our Savior. And we thank you that we embrace the good news and we carry the good news. We can look at others who have their ease and recognize that they're both wounds into all they have to do to help us to do the impossible. In the grace of our God, grace and truth are not both the same word at one time. They are both together. I thank you, Father. I bless your people. I bless everybody that's connected to us, our family, Lord. Yeah.